This episode of the Managing Major Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you, and you can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. And all you have to do is just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge at any time. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Special offer to Manage Image Podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash managingmadrid. That's betterhelp.com slash managingmadrid. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring the Managing Madrid podcast. This episode is also brought to you by Moxie Miami South Beach in downtown South Beach. They are proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid podcast world tour. Big thanks to Moxie who sponsored our show in Miami. We got two stops left now. We got Mumbai next weekend and Toronto on the last weekend of May. Um, I have to send my regrets as you all know in Mumbai. You saw the email already, I'm sure, that because of some logistical concerns, I'm basically not allowed to leave Canada to go to India uh, for the next 30 days. Legally speaking, it just was not possible, unfortunately, and with a heavy heart, I, I have announced that. However, the show goes on. Om Arvin is going to carry the mantle, and in fact, I would argue it's going to be even better. I'll be called in at some point in the podcast, and Om's just going to go super scion and do interactive Q&A style with uh, a really fun, I'm assuming, and, I, and I'm sure a really fun audience in Mumbai. So go and have a great time there, and I will join at some point virtually. And yeah, on that note, coming up is a super fun podcast with Jeremy Barron of Into the Calderon. We did a home and away kind of thing where I went on his podcast to talk about Real Madrid, and he came on this podcast to talk about Atletico Madrid, something to tide you over until the derby tomorrow. So we hope you enjoy it. And as always, we're going to get kicked off here by Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Tom's ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to a Saturday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We have a special show tonight because once or twice a year, and not often enough, one of my favorite guests comes on the show. It's literally the only good thing about playing Atletico Madrid ever, is that our good friend from into the Calderon, Jeremy Barron strolls by and we do a home and away thing. So I just finished recording a podcast for his podcast, Culture Nero Chat, which can, you can find over on, uh, well, we'll tell you in one second, we'll also link it in the show notes. But uh, Jeremy is here and we're going to talk all things Atletico and I'm super excited to kind of ask him what's going on with them in this season and we're going to get right started. But first, welcome to the show, Jeremy. How you doing? Great, man. Uh, delighted to be here as ever. Thanks for having me. 
can you just remind everyone the name of your podcast? It's Culture Nero Chat, but I wasn't sure of the patron, um, the link. So that's why I hesitated in the intro. Yeah. So we we have a new Atletico Madrid podcast network actually on our site. Uh, we have Colch Nero Chat and our good friends Taha and Emmanuel do the Partido a Partido podcast. So we have a couple podcasts on our network. You can find us on Spotify. Uh, Colch Nero Chat also has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash Colch Nero Chat with some brand new rewards that were just uh, added this uh, this past week. Perfect. All right. Amigos. So you guys can go listen to that segment uh, that I that I did with Jeremy over on patreon.com slash culturenero chat. Jeremy, what's going on with Atletico, man? Is this an uncharacteristic season, you would say? is what What is this? What's going on with the defense? What's going on? What's the identity at this stage? Are you guys a defensive team? Are you guys an attacking team? Are you guys something in between? What is what? What are you? No, uh, we're bad. That's, that's what I can say is that we're not good. Uh, th- this has been such a disappointing, even embarrassing season for for Atleti Keon. We win the title last year. It's so dramatic. It's so awesome. We're top for 26 weeks and we hold on to the very end. Uh, and then over the summer, we invest Rigo DePaul. We bring in Griezmann on the final day of the window for another go at it. And I wouldn't say it's conventional wisdom, but we're a trendy pick to win La Liga. Again, we hadn't repeated as league champions in 70 years. Like this is potentially huge stuff, but the problems are evident from day one. Um, Defensively, we have been a shell of who we once were under Diego Simeone. We've been able to score goals with relative frequency and fluidity this season, but it's not really part of a a a coherent cohesive game plan Uh, a lot of times it's been our individual attacking talent of which there is plenty uh bailing us out especially early in the the season we had a really late scrappy extra wins and added time and second half stoppage time um we we have just been we've been really pretty poor for most of this season we just came off a six week or so stretch where we were pretty consistent uh, we got back into a position in the league where we can, we will likely finish top four in the end. So uh, it won't be a complete disaster, but really everything else around this season, other than getting to the quarterfinals of the champions league has been terrible. Uh, the, the identity that the new identity that we seem to forge last season, it's not really there anymore. Uh, we don't defend well enough to remind one of the old Chilismo teams from circa 2015, 2016 around there. Uh, if not before, and we, the game plan is just not clear. Simeone has been fighting to to establish some kind of rhythm for us all season. And it, it's a combination of poor planning, poor strategy, bunch of players coming in in and out of the lineup with injuries and suspensions. I cannot wait for this season to be over because we need to seriously reset this summer and go again for 2022-23. Well, you mentioned so much about the defense. And one of the things that struck me looking at the numbers in preparation for this podcast was that you guys still have an expected goals against of 29.5, which is the best in the league. Nobody concedes less chances than you guys. But the staggering thing is that you guys conceded 41 goals from that 29 XGA, which is a staggering difference. How much of that is attributed to just Jan Oblak not being the alien he was maybe like two years ago i think a lot of it has to do with with o black having a dip in form 
he kept only one clean sheet from the first four games this season. Uh, so the, the problem started early. Uh, we've let in a bunch of really strange goals, some high variance chances that ordinarily in previous seasons would not have gone in with Oblak black between the sticks, but that's what's happened. Uh, part of it is, is just pure regression, right? Oblak black for years has been saving goals well above the, what is expected, right? Last year, I think he had a, he let in 25 goals when he was expected to let in 33 uh, back in the 17, 18 season, he let in 22 when based on shot quality, he would have led about 36 or 37. So for years, Old Black has been saving our bacon. For years, he has been bailing us out. And it, it's natural. It makes sense on some level that Black would have a down season. Everyone has one. This is the first really down season we've had in the Simeone era, dating back 10 years. And Old Black is probably the poster child for this, how a player who has been so solid and so reliable has just kind of fallen off this season. Koke is another example, who I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but yeah, a, a good chunk of it is down to Old Black losing confidence and regressing a, a little bit. But a little bit is really significant in this team because defensively, the back line in front of him has just not been good at all. Jimenez and Savage have both missed time through injury this season, multiple injuries uh, for both players, which means we've had to rely significantly on uh, Felipe Montero, Mario Hermoso, or even worse, both of them at the same time. Uh, so, we, it, and it comes back to the injuries and suspensions that we have had that have really knocked us off kilter, that haven't allowed us to get into a rhythm. Simeone has used, I want to say, close to 40 different starting 11s this season. And the constant shuffling, the interchange of bodies in front of Oblak has certainly not helped him. The acquisition of Renildo at the end of the January window was a big boost. That keyed our best run of form all season. It got us past Man United in the Champions League. And again, got us into a position where we are likely going to finish third or fourth, um, which is the, the main, the singular main objective for the club every year. So that part is good. Renildo's addition has been great. But yeah, it's, it's like most things around Atletico this year. There's not one solution that can be solved in the transfers a, a lot of stuff here that is concerning and from the atletico point of view that needs to be addressed over the summer and into next season oblak is is toward the top of that list yeah i mean oblak it's crazy because if you look at the numbers basically 2013 and on any year if you just go he's like almost guaranteed he's first in clean sheets clean sheet percentage goals against per 90 save percentages saves um, this year is like is the only year he's not going to be first in any of those categories, which is, uh, I mean, part of that will have to do with Courtois being really good, but also just Atletico leaking a lot of goals, right? Um, I'm I'm curious to ask you about several players, but I, you did say some interesting things there, and you mentioned the Manchester United two ties, which reminded me that there was a period in this season. Mm, I don't know. I would say, would you say um, uh, like the month surrounding that Manchester United game here and there on either side of, of those two legs where something good was brewing? Like you discovered a formation change. I think it was against Manchester United where Simeone went with 4-4-2, I believe it was, or and, and, he, and he did some rejuggling, he did some reshifting. There was that period where Hector Herrera and Condogbia were just bullying people in the double pivot. What happened with like, fr like, how come that wasn't, how come you weren't able to sustain that? And also, we should remember that you guys really, really gave Manchester City a hard time um, 
before they ultimately knocked you out, but they, they were on the rope. So what, what's happened? Why couldn't that chunk of time, that form in that, and during that period be sustained for on either end of the season? Herrera got hurt. He got hurt over the international break in March and that created a domino effect that has now resulted in us failing to score goals at all. Uh, we've been shut out out of the last six games that we've played. The only two goals have come against Espanol in that really wild hundredth minute comeback against Espanol uh, at the Metropolitano a couple weeks ago. Herrera goes out and we lose control in midfield. Um, and because our midfield has been so imbalanced this season and because guys like Okay, Koke's had a bad year. It, this has been a, a really poor season for him. Uh, DePaul hasn't adapted properly. Tomalema has been in and out of the lineup despite his obvious quality. He can't seem to stay fit. And then Herrera goes down, which leaves Kondogbia as your, your only really viable central midfielder. And Kondogbia is not great with the ball at his feet. So we lose control in the midfield after the Man United tie. Uh, and that conditions how we approach Man City, how we, we go to the Etihad and play the 5-5 formation that just pisses everyone off. I love that. And then we come back to the Metropolitano and we really give them a run for their money, as you said, and nearly, very nearly forced that to extra time. And we could have gone to a, a semifinal, which would have been unlikely, but amazing. So Herrera goes out after we beat Rio in March, uh, 1-0 at Vallecas. And because we just don't have many viable options there, we don't have a midfielder who can link things together, right? We don't have a midfielder who is steady and secure and really safe in possession like Herrera is. And Herrera was out for six weeks. He comes back against Athletic, and he he did not play well last week, and he looked really rusty, uh, gave away a sloppy penalty in the second half. So, I mean, I know that's a bit of a long answer, but the midfield, we had about a month, five weeks, where the midfield was playing reasonably well. Herrera goes out, Simeone chops and changes some more, and we're, we're really back to where we started. Uh, the midfield, I think, is probably the most important position that Atletico need to reinforce this summer because this year it just wasn't good enough. Kondogbia is the only pivot in the squad. As much as I love Kondogbia, I think he's been great this year. Uh, he's taken on an outsized importance because he's the only pivot we have. Koke uh, is not a fit there. DePaul is certainly not a fit there. Our own Robbie Dunn wrote a great column a couple weeks ago about how DePaul has been shoehorned into this number five role when he's really not even close to a number five. He's number eight or a number 10. But Simeone has been putting him there anyway because of the lack of options. Uh, so, you know, as, I, as I've said, th this season needs to end. It needs to end, like, very soon. And thankfully it will in the next couple of weeks because I'm tired of it. But, yeah, that's, that's the long answer to the question is that our midfield has been, has been really tragic for most of the year. And when we found something that worked, it, it was, it proved to be only temporary. And we're still trying to find after nearly 50 games, we're still trying to find the, the best alignment, the best formation, the best set of players to use. Um, you listed off the pivots. I mean, is it, are we just gonna, I, I'm, it's a genuine question. I'm not, I'm not really saying either way. I, you know, Atletico way better than I do. Are, is Marcos Llorente just not a pivot anymore? Is he just basically a right back or a right winger or a striker or a goalkeeper? What is he? Like, he's just everything, and, but, like, except the position that he was at Alaves for years? Yeah, well, what's happening to Marcos right now is what happened to Sal Niguez over the last few years. Because Sal comes up and he is this marauding central midfielder, right? Box-to-box -box presence can do really a bit of everything. 
He can be a water carrier. He can be an anchor and he can also score goals like he did the one against Bayern Munich, the bicycle kick against you guys in the Derby in 2015. Um, but Saul lost form a little bit and Simeone needed to plug holes elsewhere in the squad because we weren't properly, the squad wasn't properly reinforced in the window. So Saul starts playing as a left back, a left midfielder, eventually a left wing back and he leaves the club. He goes to Chelsea this year. Something similar, I fear, is happening to Marcos, where he comes in and let purchase him as Rodri's replacement, and that goes terribly. So Simeone converts him into an interior midfielder. He gets us past Liverpool in the Champions League, one of the great nights in our history. And last season, he's one of the only two players in the league to get double-digit goals and assists. Like, the other one was Iago Aspas. Like, he was incredible last year, and I don't think he is nearly as bad or nearly as the level he's shown this year is, is not the level we saw last year, obviously, but I don't think Llorente is nearly this bad. Just like, I don't think he is as good as he showed last year. I think the real Marcos Llorente as he hits peak age, 26, 27, the real Marcos Llorente is somewhere in the middle, but we haven't seen it because he's missed multiple months through injury. Like a lot of our players have, and he's been playing it right back for most of the, because Trippier and then sold, we didn't properly him. And that's left Marcos in a really tough place. So I, I hope that we get a starting quality right back this summer so that Marcos can return to the, the right side of midfield and he can do the damage that we saw him do last year. Simeone has talked a couple of times this season about how he kind of figured Marcos wouldn't have another dozen goal output, that it was he was going to be much closer to what his expected goals were last year, around five or six. He's got zero this year. Zero goals for a guy who was double digits in goals and assists last season. It's yeah, it, it, it's been tough. We don't really know what Marcos is right now. His, I think his best position, I'm convinced his best position is as a right-sided midfielder in a three, five, two, but I don't know if we're going to run that formation back next season. I don't know what we're going to quite, what we're going to do it right back. It's up in the air. And I think the club may have been a, a touch quick to give him that huge new contract over the summer before we really had a chance to, to see how he would follow up on last season. So a lot is up in the air. A lot is fluid with, with Marcos. There was a period when uh, Chelsea brought on Saul against us. And I just remember thinking, Saul? Saul, he's here? <laughs> I, he's I, here. I, I mean, like... He's, uh, yeah. I, I knew, but it's just like, it just kind of like, oh yeah, I, it's just one of those moments like, oh yeah, he's, he's at Chelsea this season. Is he, so are they going to bring him back? You think, are you guys going to bring him back? Yeah, he's coming back. That's been pretty clear since like November, like two not, has not turned to him throughout the season. He's used him mostly in the league cup, uh, a couple appearances in the champions league, a handful of appearances in the premier league. Saul's coming back. Chelsea don't want to pay his wages. They're not going to activate his option to buy. So that is another potential spanner in the works for Atletico summer planning. Not only are we fighting to get into the champions league, but we once again have potential wage bill constraints. Part of the appeal to sending Sal out on loan was someone else pay his wages. He makes 8 million euros net per year on a contract to 2026. He's still got a long time to go on that contract. So he, he's going to come back and I'm not sure whether he will be reintegrated or whether Atleti will look for another buyer. My gut says he will probably be reintegrated. Simeone has missed him. He's missed the guy. He can plug into central midfielder on the left side, uh, give competition to Carrasco and Lodi on, in, in that position. So 
Saul, as a player, I think he will be welcome back. And I think he will have probably matured from this experience at Chelsea, which has not gone according to plan for really any party involved. But you wonder what that precise role is going to be and what the potential salary knock-on effects are, because that's a, that's a hefty wage to, to fit into the already kind of bursting wage bill at Letty. So you mentioned the option to buy, and, and speaking of option to buy, it's reminded me, although this really was at the top of my list to ask you. I feel like one of the stories that's been swept under the rug this season, at least in my bubble, is Antoine Griezmann. Is like, what's going to happen with him this summer? Doesn't seem like he's been lighting the world on fire at Atletico. Had his moments, maybe. Certainly, I don't think Barca are going to be that excited, like, you know, with balloons and a welcome mat to bring him back. I'm still a little bit confused about what the option to buy is. It feels like no one knows anytime they ask, like, yeah, we think there's an option to buy, but like, why would Atletico agree to that? Why, you know, what's happening there? What's going to happen to him? I wrote about what should happen earlier this week is that Atleti should not delay. They should return him to Barca this summer because this has not worked. Um, and yeah, you, you asked about the option to buy and the conditions therein. It is a really strange deal. From my understanding, the option to buy becomes an obligation next year, 2023, if two conditions are met. Atleti need to extend the loan for another year, which they're probably going to do. And Griezmann needs to play 50% of the games for which he's eligible next year. If both those conditions are met, Atletico owe Barcelona 40 million euros. So, yeah, it's a really strangely, I guess, oriented deal that the terms and conditions are a bit strange, but that's what that's what they are. Barca had to get rid of him for salary reasons and for fit reasons, and Simeone was, is only too happy to welcome him back. Mm. Um and he really has been only too happy because Griezmann has been as primarily a starter since October when he scored two goals against Liverpool in that eventual three, two loss that in which he also got sent off for a high boot. Um, the, the second stint for Griezmann is starting to mirror how Diego Costa's second stint went. And it, that's not a good thing. It's not, we're still recovering from the, the 60 million plus we played, we paid for Costa we're still recovering from the 55 million we sent to Chelsea for Alvaro Morata. We're still recovering from the Vitolo deal with Sevilla five years ago, where we paid them what was at the time, nearly a club record fee, 40 million euros. Like between those three signings, that's 160 million euros worth. Um, and you add Griezmann on top of that. It's just through the roof. It skyrockets to roughly 200 million in transfer expenses for guys who were past peak age or just not really good enough to play for this club in the first place. So what should happen with Griezmann, who has not scored a league goal since the end of November, uh, who has only three goals in the league of this entire season, what should happen is that Letty should return him to Barca and make him Joan Laporta and Xavi's problem. They're not going to do that because this was an express request from Simeone and Atleti are practically stuck with him. Griezmann has said that he's thrilled to be back in Madrid. There was a very public um, campaign to welcome him back a, bunch of players were interviewed in early September and said Griezmann is one of us we want the fans to welcome him back we want this we want that uh, and the, when the club captain is leading that effort uh, it really speaks to only one trajectory one way this is going and is that Griezmann is going to stay here for the rest of his I, I would say 
viable career, right? Until he goes to MLS or until he does something else. But yeah, it, it's a tough situation, but it's a situation of the club's own making. Um, they, they didn't have to bring Griezmann back. It wasn't necessary. I felt that that chapter was closed in 2019 when he left for Barca, a direct rival in the league. We were already well-stocked at forward with Joao Felix, Angel Correa, Mateus Cunha, and not to mention Luis Suarez, um, who is still our top goal scorer this season somehow. So Griezmann did not need to come back. It's had a knock-on effect on how we on how the squad is balanced. It's screwed with Correa's minutes. It's screwed with Cunha's minutes. And both those guys are more deserving of extended minutes and runs in the starting 11 than Griezmann is. Um, and it goes against the core principle of what Cholo Simeone has built here in the last 10 years. Meritocracy, deserving your minutes, the quality of your minutes over quantity. Uh, Simeone has kind of ignored this to welcome Griezmann back. And Griezmann is not necessarily emblematic, but definitely symptomatic of what we've been through this season, just how terrible this year has been, is that we made an unnecessary transfer when we needed to plug holes in midfield. We really could have used another central defender as well. No, let's go get Griezmann back and then spend $40 million on him when he's likely going to be nothing more than an attacking midfielder or a wide playmaker. It's tough. I feel like reunions with players, bringing them back, rarely ever goes well, with exceptions, especially yeah. at, at Griezmann's age. You know, maybe if, you, if he was a little bit younger, it's a different story. And he's not like that he's that old, but he's actually, you, you brought up Diego Costa. I think he's 31 now. Diego Costa's 33. So he pretty much, that, two years ago, that would have been the Diego Costa, right? Um, mm-hmm. I also do feel like, Jao Felix and him, it's hard for me to see them coexist. I don't I don't know, just the way... I feel like Jao Felix can be... If he's surrounded with these quick wingers like the Carrascos, like the Correas, um, it, it, uh, the Griezmann profile doesn't really... I don't know if he meshes. I, I'm a little bit annoyed as a Real Madrid fan because I feel like Barca have been bailed out with a couple, couple teams just swooping in for people they don't want to keep, like West Ham coming in for Coutinho. I was annoyed by that. Although, to be fair, I think West Ham, I think that is seems to be a win-win. That he, I think he's playing well there, but I don't know if he still is, but certainly there was some hype at the beginning. Um, but I'm annoyed that you guys just saved Barca's ass for that. So I, don't, I hope there's a way to just send him back there and that he just becomes Xavi's problem. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Well, why don't we talk about the game itself tomorrow? <clears throat> and... Can you tell us like how you're going to line up? Obviously, like, you know, you and I talked about this on your podcast a little bit, just the fact that more pressure on Atletico, it's very likely that Ancelotti is going to uh, play a lot of V-team players from our end. We know Lunin is starting. Beyond that, we don't really know, but we can guess. It's not going to be a heavy uh, heavy starting 11. Like, it's not going to be the A-team. It's going to be like a lot of V-team players with a couple of starters in there in between. Then there's the Atletico side of things who are probably safe from dropping out of the top four. However, you just never know. And Real Betis, despite dropping points over the last match day, are still only three points behind. And yeah. And so there's always you, you there's 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 very little room for error still at this point. So how are you guys gonna line up against us? From what I have seen, uh, the only unavailable players are Lima and, and Joao, both through injury. Uh, Reynildo is going to play as Atleti successfully overturned the 
weird yellow card he got last weekend in Bilbao. He fouls in Yaki Williams, but the replay showed he didn't really make contact with him. Mateo Lajot booked him anyway. So that that yellow card was overturned. He's going to play. So I would expect it's going to be Oblak in goal. Uh, Reynildo as the natural left back. Versalco at right back. Savage and Jimenez in, in the middle of the defense. Uh, Carrasco on the left-hand side of midfield. Llorente on the right. Koke and Kondogbia in the middle. And then the front two, it looks like it's going to be Correa and Cunha with Griezmann and Suarez both on the bench. Rodrigo DePaul on the bench. Um, I, I like that 11. I think we've been singing Cunha's praises on, on my show all season. This was an under-the-radar signing. It wasn't a very popular signing, but he's added a lot to us in a super sub role. And there's talk that Simeone is going to make him the starting nine next season, um, if assuming Simeone stays. Cunha adds a lot of elasticity. He's really agile, wiry, does a lot of the things a modern nine needs to do. He presses high. He's really agile and quick. He's got a lot of that Brazilian flair. Um, he's really crafty and intelligent with great vision. Um, he's not a great finisher yet, but I think that can come. I, I think there's a lot of optimism that Cunha can be a guy who develops into a, a Diego Costa type player for Atleti. So really excited to see him get a start in, even though this, this installation of this installment of the Derby is going to be weird. Um, it's still a big game. It's objectively a big game. Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid. This is still a huge deal. So to see how Cunha performs against this kind of opposition, league winners, probably the Champions League winners as well, um, it's, it's going to be big for him and his confidence, and we're really going to see what we have here. And I think we've got a very good player in Cunha. Um, and I, I like that that possible 11. Reynildo has been a great addition helping solidify the left side. He's, he's just a wall back there. Um, a bit out of control at times. He takes a lot of gambles and a lot of risks, but uh, – he was key to help and get up to help us get past Man United and has been key over the last two, three months in helping us to solidify, hopefully, fingers crossed, a Champions League place. Um, I think we're going to get there in the end, but we're not making it easy on ourselves. Um, Betis, I, I know they won the cup, but they haven't been quite as sharp since the end of February, early March. And La Real, uh, whether Ariadza ball is healthy or not, they just can't score goals. Uh, like, Isak, Sorloff, David Silva got their goal yesterday in the loss to Levante. Um, Porto, Menezai, they've Mike Mikel Marino, they've got a bunch of very talented players, but they just can't quite scratch any goals together, or nearly enough goals together to really challenge for top five, top four. So we're, we're probably going to get there in the end, but a win derby, our first in six years in the league, would be a massive help. Well, uh, Betis play... Uh, at the time of this recording, in half an hour, they play against Barcelona, and that's huge. A, a Betis win there would make things very interesting. A mm -hmm. Barcelona win would kind of maybe put some nerves to bed in terms of like what the top four is. It would, it would maybe put less pressure on Atletico. But if Betis win today, that puts a lot more pressure on you guys and and possibly even Barca to just make sure that they survive the top four. Um, so that that's going to be very interesting to see how that changes the conversation. All right, Jeremy, I think I've taken up enough of your time. And do you think you need to return back to the Arizona Sun and enjoy that? Oh, yeah. Just so, so excited for this 95-degree day we're going to have. Isn't that unbelievable? Like, I really, it's, you can't even enjoy it. You just have to be inside. Or you have to be yeah. literally in a swimming pool or the ocean or something, which you're not obviously in by the ocean. But anyways, enjoy it. 
enjoy it regardless and uh, look forward to our next podcast. Good luck tomorrow and uh, thanks for coming on and giving a little bit of your time here. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, man. Good luck to you as well. Hoping for a good game and we will we'll do this again soon.